0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. episode 53 of Sorallo Sports Talk and you know that for me to double down and give you two episodes in one week something big must be happening right you thought my last episode a couple days ago that the next time you would hear from me would be when I was live at Radio Row leading up to the Super Bowl got five shows next week but there is something big happening first off Ross Tucker is all set to join the show shortly I can't wait To talk with him, former, of course, NFL offensive lineman, current podcast host. He's got about, I don't know, six or seven shows. He's going to join the show. He's also here to talk about myfrontpagestory.com. So that'll be a blast. But Brian Flores, the, I think, phenomenal coach of the Miami Dolphins, who I'm on the record saying I wanted the New York Giants, my New York Giants, to hire as their head coach this coaching cycle. Brian Flores has filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL. And my goodness, there is a ton to unpack in this lawsuit. It has claims of being asked to tank by his owner, Stephen Ross in Miami, being offered money to tank. And then, of course, the allegations of racist practices in the two hiring cycles that he's been a part of as a head coach back in 2019 with the Broncos and then this year with my New York Giants. So let's start with what happened in Miami because there was, according to Brian Flores's allegations, which, you know, I'm going to come out off the bat because you can hear me say allegations and you can interpret that as me saying allegations because I don't believe him. Off the bat, I want you to know, I think that there is a lot of truth To what Brian Flores is throwing out there. That's my opinion. From what I've seen and what I've heard. And what I know about the NFL. I think that most of what he's saying is true. So let's start with Miami. Steven Ross. I don't doubt for one second. That he offered Brian Flores. An extra $100,000 per loss in 2019. To tank for the number one draft pick. I don't doubt that for a second. That was the tank for two a season, right? Everyone was talking about it. That didn't just pop up out of nowhere. Yes, the general public thought going into the year, with good reason, that Tua would be the number one overall draft pick. And yes, the Dolphins had nothing. They were in dire need of a franchise quarterback. People were talking about that Miami Dolphins team, as there's talk every year of the team that could go 0-16, right? It's only happened once, or twice, excuse me, only the 08 Lions, and then more recently, the Cleveland Browns have done it. And that was the team in 2019 that people thought had the best chance to do it. They went 5-11. and 11. And that spoke to Brian Flores and what he did every year in Miami, right? They weren't a great team in 2019. 5-11 and 11 stinks. There's a reason they drafted fifth, but they exceeded expectations. And that's why when Brian Flores was fired a few weeks ago, I was outraged. Because how are you going to fire a coach who has done nothing in his three years except exceed expectations? Five and eleven when people were talking about them going 0-16. Ten and six last year when Vegas set their over-under win total at six and a half. And then another winning season this year, nine and eight. And while that's, you know, slightly above mediocre, mind you, there were nine and eight teams that made the playoffs, the Philadelphia Eagles, nine and eight. But while that's slightly above mediocre, this team started 1-7 and, and finished the year 8-1. and one. And after winning eight of his final nine games with Miami, Brian Flores gets fired. So a lot of malpractice went on in Miami. And Stephen Ross offering him a $100,000 bonus per loss in 2019 to tank for that top overall draft pick, it doesn't shock me one bit. Now the irony of it all is that going into the year, Miami wanted Tua, right? Stephen Ross, Chris Greer, their general manager, All those guys wanted Tua, except Brian Flores, who wanted Justin Herbert. Who was right? Brian Flores. Who else was right? Me. I said going into that draft, I'm on the record saying Justin Herbert was going to be a better pro than Tua. So Flores was right there, and that created a lot of drama, a lot of issues between him and Chris Greer, him and Steven Ross, because Flores made it known he didn't want Tua. He wanted Herbert. And Flores was dead on right. But the irony is they got Tua, right? The owner got his guy at fifth. Instead of at first. And for him to be upset and hold that against Flores, I mean, maybe at the end of the day, of course, he'd rather have Burrow. I think everyone who watched that season unfold and who watched the college football playoff realized Burrow was a better prospect than Tua, but going into the year, Tua was their guy and they got him. But then free agency comes around. And who's a free agent after the 2019 season? Well, Look, I can't come out there and outright say I know who the guy on the yacht was because I don't. But it would make a lot of sense if Steven Ross invited Tom Brady on his yacht for Ross and Flores to court Tom Brady to come be a Miami Dolphin. Now, Flores alleges that Ross invited him on his yacht and then there was a free agent quarterback there and this was before the free agency period had begun And Flores removed himself from the situation, left the dock, went home because tampering is illegal. And that's exactly what that was. If Flores is telling the truth, Stephen Ross had initiated tampering. Now the Brady thing is purely coming from me, but it makes sense. Brady for the first time had reached free agency. Tom Brady and Brian Flores had a very good relationship from their time together. A lot of years together in New England it just made perfect sense that going into a year in which Ross didn't have the draft pick he wanted to take a quarterback, that he would try to court Tom Brady and use that fifth overall pick somewhere else to take a different position player that could help the Dolphins win now, which of course with Brady would have been the goal. So again, no proof that it's Tom Brady. Could have been someone else, but it makes too much sense that when Brian Flores showed up to that yacht, Steven Ross... A Michigan man was there with Tom Brady, another Michigan man. So those are the allegations against the Miami Dolphins. Now, let's take a look at the Denver Broncos situation. This was before Miami hired Flores. He shows up to an interview in Denver with the owner and, of course, the GM, who's John Elway, golden boy John Elway. And Flores alleges that when he showed up to that interview, those men were an hour late which, I mean, I don't think that's a crazy allegation. I think Elway hasn't even denied being late to the interview, but that they were disheveled and that they were visibly hung over and had been drinking the night before. Now, Elway says that's defamatory, that it's nonsense, it's not true, but he acknowledged, if I was disheveled, and then go- goes on to give another reason as to why he may have been disheveled. For me, in my perspective, to hear Elway say, if I seemed disheveled, it sounds like John Elway was hungover at that meeting. It sounds like he was disheveled, and he's trying to come up with a different reason for why that may have been the case. Flores is not the first person to say he's gone in a meaningless job interview. And that brings us to the New York Giants, because, you know, if Flores is telling the truth about Denver, it was a meaningless job interview. And based off the texts that he received from his old head coach, Bill Belichick, his Giants job interview was a meaningless job interview based on those texts. And that's really disheartening for me as a Giants fan to see that. Now I will say a couple things and look, I don't work for the Giants, right? I'm not defending them. I've crushed them for a lot of decisions they've made. They haven't gotten a coaching decision, right? Since Tom Coughlin, McAdoo was a joke. Shermer was a joke. Joe judge was a joke. I would kill to have Brian Flores. With that said, I think Brian Dable is a really good hire. I said, when the Giants were looking for a coach, Flores was my top choice Dayball was second. And it wasn't even a one as opposed to two. It was like a 1A versus a 1B. The Dayball hire makes sense, right? You look at the Giants general manager. John Mara actually took a backseat to this process and did the right thing. John Mara's top guy, his number one choice was Brian Flores. Two days after Brian Flores was fired, Mara called him up and let him know he wanted to interview him. They set up a Zoom a few days after that. And then, of course, it led to the in-person interview, the dinner with Joe Shane, a few nights ago. But John Mara's top choice was Brian Flores. What he did, which owners should do, is he let his general manager pick his guy. How many issues did the Giants have because there was no sync between their owner, their GM, and their head coach when Dave Gettleman was GM for what felt like decades? It was way too long a time. That led to problems, right? You had... Gettleman coming in in the middle of a coach, and then coaches coming in in the middle of Gettleman, and there was never a sink. And so now you've got a chance for continuity. They hire their GM, Joe Shane, from Buffalo. And then, I think understandably so, predictably so, Brian Dayball, the incredible offensive coordinator from Buffalo, who shockingly didn't become the Chargers head coach a year ago, still on the market. Dayball comes with Joe Shane to the Giants, right? None of that is shocking, and I don't think any of that contained any malpractice. Now, the text messages from Bill Belichick, those are alarming, and those are unfortunate. And it's ironic that a guy who has labeled himself, has earned the title of indisputably, undoubtedly, the best coach in the history of the NFL, can't use his fucking cell phone the right way, right? Like, Bill Belichick pulled something my dad would do. Oh, wrong Brian. I fucked this one up. Yeah, Bill, you did fuck this one up. Uh, And I'm sorry, that's hilarious in what's an otherwise awful situation. But I don't think that the Giants committed malpractice in this coaching search. I think it's hard to at least prove it, even if they did. First off, they interviewed Leslie Frazier right off the bat. He was one of their first interviews, another black coach, uh, who Leslie Frazier, well, I think he's done a great job as Bill's defensive coordinator. He had a head coaching chance, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve another. I'd love to see him get another shot, but he did underperform for a while with Minnesota. Uh, So the Giants interviewed Leslie Frazier. It's not like Flores was just the, all right, we hit the quota, hit the requirement, now be on your way. But I don't know how fair of a chance Flores had because it seemed like Shane might've had his mind made up with Dayball at that point, which is understandable given their connection and given Dayball's resume, but also disheartening because for Brian Flores, a Brooklyn kid, a New Yorker through and through, young, energetic, defensive-minded head coach, which I always love defensive-minded head coaches for the Giants, I would have loved to see Flores be the next head coach of the Giants. I'm still happy with the day ball hire, would have loved it to be Flores, but I think keeping this to the class action lawsuit that Brian Flores has filed, I think the Giants portion of it is going to be the toughest thing to prove because while the text messages from Belichick are alarming, you can always say, well, those were just rumors, right? Bill Belichick's not a Giant employee. Yes, he has ties to the Giants, but he's no longer a Giant, and he hasn't been a Giant for thirty, almost 30 years, right? So that's going to be tough to prove. The Miami stuff is earth-shattering, and that's what it all comes down to. The Denver stuff, I believe it, it's crappy. The Giants stuff is really disheartening. The Miami stuff is earth-shattering. Being offered a hundred grand per loss to Tank. And now you've got Hugh Jackson coming out saying Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, made a very similar offer. And it makes you question the way owners look at coaches based off whether they're white or black. Because to offer someone money to perform his or her job poorly is, in my opinion, a direct shot at their integrity as a human being. To think that you can essentially buy someone to stink at their job and look bad and embarrass themselves and make fools of themselves on national television every week, to me, that's treating another human being like shit. And it goes beyond, you know, tampering in the NFL and, you know, throwing games. And of course, that's a whole legal issue in and of itself. That compromises the integrity of the league and the game. But looking at this from a human perspective, that's really scary to me because that's Steven Ross saying, hey, you know, at the end of the day, you'll get a million, a million and a half. Just do your job poorly, you know, embarrass yourself, make a fool of yourself and and I'll buy you off. And that's questioning Brian Flores as a person more than anything and treating him less than a person. And that to me is the biggest problem of everything that went on, that Steven Ross tried to make Brian Flores a national embarrassment for a draft pick. That to me is an issue. You know, I I can't say I'm confident the NFL is going to do something about it. Look at Daniel Snyder, the fact that he's still the owner in Washington speaks volumes. And let's face it, to ask Snyder to vote out Steven Ross, good luck. To ask Haslam to vote out Steven Ross, good luck. You know, there's 32 White good old boys owning NFL teams and to get any of them to turn on one another is going to be incredibly difficult. But I hope Steven Ross, if he's guilty of this, I hope he's no longer allowed to own the Miami Dolphins because that's a franchise, a fan base, and frankly, an entire league that deserves better than Steven Ross. And I think Brian Flores is showing an awful ton of bravery and courage with this class action suit, because this is a guy who I considered probably one of the top 10 coaches in the NFL this season, and he could potentially be throwing his career out the window to make a point and pave the way for other blackhead coaches to get a better shake, a more fair shake than he got, and that is one courageous move. When we return on Serralo Sports Talk, Ross Tucker joins the show. I can't wait for this one, guys. Something tells me you're going to love this interview, so stick around. I'll be right back. We're back here on Sorello Sports Talk, and as promised, it's former NFL offensive lineman and current media savant. He does, I believe, at least 85 different podcasts. It's Ross Tucker. Ross, thanks so much for joining the show. Joe, my
0: pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, I've been called a lot of things. That might be the first savant. I'll take it. (laughs) I don't even know what a savant is, but it sounds good. I'm going to go with it. Yes, I do have a bunch of podcasts, even money for people that like betting fantasy feast. If you're in a fantasy, if you're a draft Nick or whatever they call draft people now, (laughs) I've got the college draft podcast. And then I do the Ross Tucker football podcast every day, which is kind of like the uh, the flagship one, if you will.
1: Well, you know, Ross, I'm glad that you brought up Even Money because twice a week, and ironically tonight is one of those nights, I co-host the NBA betting show on Pregame, which is your buddy Fezzik's network. So very familiar with Fezzik, and I'm glad that you brought him and Even Money up. I didn't know that, Joe. That's awesome. yes. Fezzik is
0: the man, Uh, we've been doing it a long time now, and it's just unbelievable, you know, how much that show has grown, on a per episode basis, that now gets the most listeners and views, I guess that's just the way of the world these days,
1: man. Yeah, absolutely Ross, it is a betting world, hey, we've got so much to get to, Super Bowl 56, you're here with my front page story, but I want to start with the class action lawsuit that Brian Flores has recently filed against the NFL. Ross, there's a lot to unpack in this lawsuit. What was your reaction to it when it first came out? And what's your opinion on the current state of opportunities for blackhead coaches in the NFL? So
0: my initial reaction uh, was very intrigued by two parts of it. Number one, that Brian Flores who's a pretty young man and who was a scout actually for the Patriots when I was there he's probably about my age but when I was playing for the Patriots he was a scout um and I am very I have a lot of respect for people that are willing to sacrifice quite frankly their careers mm-hmm. for something that they believe in which I think is a distinct possibility that Brian is doing. The other thing that jumped out to me was just the allegations of the $100,000 per loss from Stephen Ross. I mean, that is uh, obviously would be incredibly eye opening and something that is very noteworthy for the NFL. I mean, it would be historic. You know, I've been asked on a lot of other stations recently if I think the NFL would force a sale by Stephen Ross. I don't know what they would do. Uh, I don't know, you know, if they actually have evidence enough to prove it. Supposing somebody else heard that it was the case, you know, and heard Stephen Ross say that. Uh, I don't know if that's enough or not. Maybe he could just say he was joking and was just intimating that losing that year wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I don't know, man, I, I really, it's kind of uncharted uncharted territories. I know this much, that is an exclusive club And if you are in that club, you don't want to think there's any way you could get kicked out. Let's put it this way. I don't think Daniel Snyder is voting out Stephen Ross. I don't think uh, Jimmy Haslam is voting out Stephen Ross. So I think those guys uh, are more likely to kind of protect their own, if you will.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Ross. And of course, that's an issue in and of itself, right? The having their own back thing when all 32 owners happen to be white. Look, I could spend an hour talking about this, talking with you about this, but we've got to get to Super Bowl 56. Among your other media exploits, you do a ton of amazing work for Westwood One, and you had a front row sideline view to the AFC Conference Championship game at Arrowhead. So Ross, for those of us who don't get to see Joe Burrow in person or haven't yet, what about this kid shows you when you're watching him live that he just has that it factor?
0: Oh well, that's pretty clear, and it's how calm he is, you know. And I can speak to that, Joe, because I interviewed him probably five minutes after the game ended, you know, something like that. Now I interviewed Joe Mixon right after the game, and within within a minute of McPherson making that kick, and Joe Mixon was emotional, and it's been well documented what Joe Mixon did as a freshman in college at Oklahoma. It is a horrible, horrific incident. It was caught on video. It's terrible. Uh, And I think he was just so appreciative of the Bengals organization giving him an opportunity and drafting him when perhaps others would not. And he was emotional. He was talking about how much he thanked the Browns uh, or the the Brown family, the Bengals organization, the city of Cincinnati. It, It was pretty powerful. And then fast forward Three or four minutes later, I don't even remember, Joe, what my first question was of Burrow, and but he answered it so relaxed and so laid back. I was like, Joe, you just beat the Chiefs you in the AFC championship game. You're going to the Super Bowl. How are you so calm right now? And he was like, well, you know, I was excited right after he made the kick, but it's been a few minutes now. And. To be honest, this is kind of where I thought would happen. I thought we would win the game. This is what we came here to do. I mean, he he, I know Joe Montana is Joe cool, but Joe Burrow is like the calmest dude of all time. Probably the calmest guy I've ever interviewed. And I think that confidence and everything he has,
1: it just kind of oozes and exudes throughout the rest of the team. And I absolutely love Joe Burrow and that confidence that he just exudes. You know, Ross, he is the first quarterback not named Tom Brady to beat Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game. Well, Tom Brady, a guy who you briefly played with and played against many times, just announced that he's retiring from the best NFL career of all time. What was your reaction to Tom Brady's official retirement announcement?
0: Well, I played with him. I I was there in 05 And then 06 until I got traded to Cleveland and I'm mad at him, Joe. I'm I'm mad at him for retiring. I have daughters that are nine and eight and me being teammates with Tom Brady and snapping him the ball is like the coolest thing I've got going in there. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, I, I like I want him to play forever. It's a selfish decision by Tom Brady to (laughs) retire at 44. Selfish. Keep playing for my benefit, Tom. Uh, But it is amazing, right, to think that I've got dollars that are 9 and 8, and, like, they know who he is. Everybody in their class talks about him. And I'm a little bit cooler, maybe just a little bit, because I played with him. So it's pretty wild. Uh, You know, I don't even know what to say about him anymore, right? I mean, think about making a decision whether or not to keep playing or not. And nothing that happens if you keep playing is really going to change anybody's opinion or your life. Like it makes another twenty-five million, another thirty million, whatever it is, doesn't really make a big difference in his life. If he won another championship, Joe won eight Super Bowls, went to eleven. What? It really going to change what we say about him? What we think? He's already the GOAT. He's already the best ever. Yeah, I think he realized being away from his family for another year, another season. That could change his life or a serious injury could change his life. And I think he finally realized, what am I, what am I gaining by continuing to do this?
1: You know, Ross, I had someone reach out to me this past weekend when the initial reports about Brady retiring had come out on Saturday and this person wrote really bad move by Brady. You know, if he just stuck with it and won eight, that would look so much better than seven. And I said, are you crazy? He has already won more Super Bowls himself than every other franchise in NFL history. He does not need to do a thing to solidify himself as the GOAT. He's on his way to Canton in five years, left on his terms, has already blown everyone else away. And to see him go out the way he wants to, even if it's for selfish reasons, not the way we wanted him to, it's still great. Now, I mentioned that he's on his way to Canton in five years. And Ross, I want to ask you about someone else who I think should have been in Canton five years ago, Tony Baselli. I heard you in that great spot on the Jim Rome show, go to bat for Tony and make the case for him to be a Hall of Famer. And I've been pounding the table on this for about two years. No disrespect to greats like Kevin Mawai, Steve Hutchinson, Alan Fanica. But to me, what Tony did was so much more dominant because he did it at a tougher position at offensive tackle as opposed to as an interior offensive lineman Ross to put it into perspective how much more difficult is it to dominate at offensive tackle compared to guard and center
0: well listen I I think that there are certain aspects of being an interior lineman that an offensive tackle would have trouble with Mm -hmm. but in general there's a reason why guys move in and not move out and maybe this is my bias as a guy that started 25 games at center and guard, but, you know, I'm six, four and a half, 315 pounds where I was, whatever. I could hold it down at center and guard. I wasn't like a pro bowler or a halt but I could hold it, down. I'm not gonna be the reason we lose the game, right? I think we won more of my starts than we lost in my career. But the flip side of that, If you put me out at tackle, we might have problems, bro. I mean, (laughs) you put me out at tackle, especially the way Baselli was put out there at tackle, I don't know. You know, he was one-on-one all the time with guys like Bruce Smith. It's extremely, extremely impressive what he was able to do because he didn't have a lot of help and he was able to still play at a really high level, I think objectively a much tougher ask, a harder task than what some of these other interior guys were
1: asked to do. So at the end of the day, Thursday, February 10th, five finalists, there's currently 15 of them, will get inducted. Do you think Tony Baselli finally gets the call? Man, I hope so. If it's not this year, I don't
0: know when it'll be. There's not another offensive lineman kind of in front of him. You know, there had been like Mawai and Fanica and Hutchinson. There was a group of guys. Well, all those other guys have gotten in now, right? So that's number one. Number two, Tony's been a finalist longer than anybody else. I think this is his fifth, maybe his sixth year as a finalist at this point. So, gosh, for him, I hope so. It's got to be tough to uh, to keep falling, up, falling short, especially when you know it had nothing to do with you as a player it was totally because your shoulders got messed up and you couldn't play longer.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I hope this is the year he finally gets in. Ross, before I let you go, you're here today with my front page story. Tell us a little bit about my front page story and why it's the perfect Valentine's Day gift with Valentine's Day being just the day after Super Bowl 56.
0: Well, so here's the deal. Everybody does the same thing for Valentine's Day. that You know, flowers or chocolate or you know, who knows, maybe you take her out to dinner or get her a gift card to a spa or something, do something different or unique or really special that will blow her mind away. You go to myfrontpagestory.com. They write a story about your wife or significant other. It looks amazing. Like when she opens it up, she's gonna be like, what even is this? It looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. It's beautiful (laughs) framed, you know, with the headline and the picture of her and the family or whatever you got. And then she'll, she'll just think that that's so cool. Like, wait, what you had a story written about me. And then when she actually reads the quotes and you're like, I just don't thank her enough for all the little things she does for the family. I, I, I just think she will absolutely love it. Look, I've seen this video a bunch of, they cry, dude. They cry. She will cry. You will win my myfrontpagestory.com story.com. My
1: Ross, thank you so much for the time. Hey, before we wrap it up, I know that DraftKings is a huge sponsor of most of your shows. So to take us home, do you have a best bet for Super Bowl 56?
0: Right now, it's just the Bengals getting the points.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's just the Bengals getting the point. I mean, every playoff game comes down to a field goal. You're going to give me four and a half points? I'll take them. Every game comes down to a field goal. That seems like easy money right
1: now. I love it. Ross Tucker, thank you so much for the time. We'll be right back with my final word here on Seralo Sports Talk. Alright, it is time for my final word here on this episode, episode 53 of Soralo Sports Talk. First off, what an incredible spot right there with Ross Tucker. I mean that interview was I I, I still have so many questions to discuss with him. Things like about playing with Brady. And, you know, the Hall of Fame case, I mean, I will spend at least one entire segment going over the 15 Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists next week while I'm at Radio Row. And of course, like I've done each of the past two years, I'll be revealing my five picks of the 15 as to who should be inducted. You know, some tough cuts were made. Steve Tasker not being a finalist. Give me a break. I mean, he was the best at what he did for a long time. And then that raises the question who is one of the 15 finalists, a kick return specialist, a punt return specialist. Is he worthy of one of five spots? Well, he was the best at what he did for a long time, maybe ever, probably ever. It'll be interesting. I'll get to it next week. But for my final word, I want to stick with the theme of this episode and my monologue and the coaching carousel of this NFL cycle, because there were, including the Saints now, Nine vacancies after the season ended. And I made a list after the regular season ended of my top 10 head coach candidates. And seven of them were black. Off the top of my head, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, Jim Caldwell, Eric Biennemi, Raheem Morris. That's five of them. Um, Leslie Frazier is six. And... Brian Flores, number seven. There it is. None of them are currently head coaches. And those jobs are dwindling. There was once nine vacancies. Now the Jacksonville Jaguars, just minutes ago, have announced that Doug Peterson, former Eagles Super Bowl winning coach, will be their next head coach. And first off, Byron Leftwich, earlier tonight as I'm recording this, recused himself from the job, which, how Jacksonville lets Byron Leftwich recuse himself from that job, unless he thinks, well, if Tom Brady retired, maybe Arians will retire, and he can take the Tampa Bay job, maybe, but Jacksonville made a mistake letting Leftwich slip through their fingers, but also, if Leftwich wasn't the guy in Jacksonville, because this actually surprises a lot of people, Leftwich was not my top choice for the Jacksonville Jaguars, it was Jim Caldwell, a guy who in four years with the Detroit Lions had three winning seasons, won 36 games in four years for an average of nine and seven each year. In fact, he went nine and seven twice, went seven and nine once, but in his first year went 11 and five with the Detroit Lions. Doesn't that seem and sound unfathomable right now? 11 and five in Detroit. I mean, Jim Caldwell, was a great coach for the Detroit Lions, and he got ousted and treated like garbage for Matt Patricia to go there and win, what, 15 games in three and a half years? I mean, Jim Caldwell won 11 his first season. That was almost as many as Patricia won in multiple seasons, in Detroit and now Dan Campbell's there and look I'm not gonna bash Dan Campbell I love his energy I love the fact that his players love him that's so important in this league so I've got nothing negative to say about Dan Campbell we all knew Detroit was gonna stink this year and they pulled some good wins out of their hat you know beat Arizona beat Minnesota so nothing negative about Dan Campbell but Matt Patricia canning Caldwell because Patricia was gonna implement that Patriot way that Belichick way and win in Detroit That was a disaster and the Lions got everything they deserved. But Jim Caldwell still doesn't have a job. I don't know why the hell not. Byron Leftwich is going to be a coordinator again. Todd Bowles will likely be a coordinator again. The only vacancies out there right now are New Orleans, which Peyton announced very recently, way later than everyone else, that he was going to step away. Houston, and then, of course, the team that has a ton of controversy surrounding them and its owner right now, the Miami Dolphins. Those are the only three vacancies in the NFL right now. Chicago got filled up. Matt Eberflus. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett to Denver. Uh, Kevin O'Connell to Minnesota, who, by the way, Minnesota... And this was a guy who did not crack my list, by the way. I mentioned the 7 out of 10. Uh, Here's another one, D'Amico Ryans, who I thought, when Jim Harbaugh announced that he was returning to Michigan... I thought D'Amico Ryans was the hire for the Minnesota Vikings, San Francisco's incredible defensive coordinator. And they shocked me by going with Kevin O'Connell. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say Kevin O'Connell's not a worthy hire, not a great offensive mind and offensive coordinator for the Rams. He absolutely is. But I think I was more impressed this year with the 49ers defense than I was with the Rams offense. The Rams offense is star-studded. Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, Van Jefferson, That offense has studs. Robert Woods before he went down with a season-ending ACL tear. San Francisco's defense? Yeah, they've got some studs. Nick Bosa, Fred Warner. I'm not going to sit here and dispute that. Eric Armstead? They've got talent. But what they did against Green Bay in the playoffs? No. No, no other team has done that against Green Bay all year. Except when Jordan Love got the nod because Aaron Rodgers had COVID for the game against Kansas City, right? No other team had done that to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers all year. D'Amico Ryans deserved that Minnesota Vikings job. Uh, This is terrible that there were once nine openings and six of them have been filled and not a single black head coach has gotten a crack at it. Only one black head coach in the NFL, Mike Tomlin. And oh, by the way, he's probably one of the three or four most successful head coaches currently in the league. I mean, there's Belichick, yeah. Peyton's no longer in the league, and you can argue Tomlin more successful than Peyton. After Belichick, it's probably Tomlin. Next man up. You can argue for Harbaugh in Baltimore or Pete Carroll, but it's probably Tomlin right after Belichick. In fact, he's the first coach, and I know you've heard me say this before the first coach in NFL history to never have a losing record in one of his first 15 seasons as a head coach. And he's the only black head coach in the league. There were eight in 2011, 11 years ago, there were eight blackhead coaches, 25% of the league. Now there is one, some progress we've made the past 11 years. Look, I have frankly, no hope that a blackhead coach is going to fill one of the final three vacancies. I don't think Steven Ross is going to do it. I doubt the Houston Texans are going to do it the way that they're run. Now look, the smart thing to do would be hire Brian Flores. And I know this sounds controversial. I know this sounds crazy. If Houston hired Brian Flores, they would make themselves look not great because I don't think it's possible to make themselves look great down in Houston, but they'd make themselves look a hell of a lot better than they have in recent years. Getting rid of Hopkins and Watt and everything that went on with Deshaun Watson and hiring David Cully, knowing you're not going to give him a real chance at things. Houston has become an embarrassment in the National Football League. And the best way that they can recover is to hire the guy who has filed a class action lawsuit against the National Football League. Brian Flores, one of their three finalists. If they hire Josh McCown, give me a break. I'm not disputing that he's a brilliant offensive mind. I think Josh McCown has a great football mind. The guy doesn't have a sliver of coaching experience. Hire Brian Flores, who's proven already In just three years, that he can turn a franchise around and make Josh McCown his offensive coordinator. If you want McCown there so badly, let him do the play calling. But hire Brian Flores. That's the best thing Houston can do. I thought Jacksonville dropped the ball. I thought the Giants could have gone Flores, but Dayball was a good hire. I thought Chicago. You know, Todd Bowles in my mind. Eberflus has done great with Indianapolis. Nothing against him. I thought Bowles would have been a better hire for the Bears, just like I thought D'Amico Ryans would have been a better hire for Minnesota. You look at the other two vacancies, Miami, who the hell wants that job right now? Who the hell wants to work with Steven Ross and Chris Greer? And then New Orleans, who is interviewing Eric Bieniemy? That would be perfect. Unfortunately, it would probably set Bieniemy up for failure. There's a reason Sean Payton is stepping away. The Saints have the worst salary cap situation in football going into next year. And one of the worst quarterback situations in football going into next year. Jameis Winston is a free agent. Jameis Winston is the most talented quarterback on the Saints. Taysom Hill is the recipient of one of the worst contracts in NFL history for a team. And he is not a franchise quarterback. Now, Eric Biennemi is a brilliant offensive mind. I don't even think he can develop a winning offense with Taysom Hill as the everyday, every week quarterback. So... I hope Bianemey gets a job. It's 2 to 3 years too late. Eric Bianemey should have had a job in 2019, 2020. You know, as much as I say the Giants didn't do the wrong thing by hiring Brian Dable, they did the wrong thing by passing Bianemey for Joe Judge. Eric Bianemey was the guy 2 years ago when the Giants hired Joe Judge. That made no sense. So I hope Bianemey gets a shot in New Orleans maybe. We'll have three black coaches by the end of this cycle, going into the 2022 season. That's still far too few. Now, the next time you hear from me, I guarantee we'll be at Radio Row because that's it for this episode. Episode 53 of serrallo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks again to Ross Tucker for joining the show, guys. I'll see you from LA in a few days.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe.